Dum Dum Radio. Welcome back to Dum Dum Radio. My name is Julia Gibson. I am the music editor of Dum Dum Zine. With me, as always, is. Hi, I'm Talene Kali. I am founder and publisher of Dum Dum Zine. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. We're here today with illustrious writer and friend of the zine, John Christopher Nelson. Hi, how are you doing today? Really good. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, I feel famous being on my first podcast. Like, am I Brad Pitt now? I don't know. <laughs> You're Brad Pitt to us, John. <laughs> You really are. You're the Brad Pitt of our of our zine dreams. Oh boy. John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like where did you grow up and where do you live now and how did you get there? Yeah. Um uh born in San Diego. Um my family homesteaded like what five generations ago homesteaded a a, a dairy farm down in East County San Diego. And that's where my great, great grandparents were. That's where my great grandparents were. That's where I grew up. And then um, in middle school, we moved to central Nevada. And I think that's where I ended up wanting to read and write because I, there's nothing to do in central Nevada. Um, And then in high school, I was in LA and then I went to school at UCLA and then I ended up in Seattle because the person I was dating at the time got into school up here and I moved up here with her. And then we split up, but it was kind of like, well, I'm in Seattle. Let's just see what happens. And I've been here almost 10 years. I identify as a Californian forever. <laughs> and so to be for a decade in Washington, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm betraying my my roots what did you study at ucla uh american literature and culture and the only reason i did american literature and culture instead of an english major is because i'm not a big fan of chaucer lucky you got to skip chaucer that's so right that is literally one of the only differences between the english major and the american literature major at ucla is that the american literature majors don't have to take chaucer i absolutely can't stand chaucer (laughs) so i'm very (laughs) as an english major as an english major who had to take chaucer you really really saved yourself there sucks I I get why there's a lot of writers like that. It's like I get why he's significant and I understand why we're supposed to care. But who cares? Like <laughs> I like did you, did you have to take I the just, Milton class? I did, but I actually I have a soft spot for Milton only because I like that he makes the devil charismatic. Interesting. Like Milton makes the devil a likable, relatable, sympathetic character. I will say though, this might turn into like a a zine (laughs) war. I will say I prefer Chaucer over Milton. I did not like Milton. What? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm hate me dude hate me <laughs> <laughs> okay both of you who's the person that like 
if you could take any person off of the canon, like they're just stricken from the record, they're never taught again in high school, middle school, college, nothing. Oh, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Fuck yes. <laughs> I, that was so easy. I didn't realize it was going to be such an easy question for me, but I cannot I stand that. that. Oh, he's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just the worst his short stories i was like Ugh. yeah well and talk about like hit you over the head symbolism it's like oh young goodman brown oh chillingsworth <laughs> oh like dimsdale it's like oh my god dude that sounds so on the nose <laughs> it's too on the nose I, yeah i i don't remember nothing nathaniel hawthorne you're lucky yeah you yeah. really are um i remember i don't know who i don't know who i would get rid of no no one's coming to mind how about you john um nathaniel hawthorne's for sure up there um god i don't know i really hate and i, I feel like i'm trying to like plug myself here like i'm a i'm an aware straight white male um, but <laughs> Ernest Hemingway, I swear to God, like everyone, every straight white male in the world has the biggest boner for Ernest Hemingway. I and have a, I have a boner for <laughs> Hemingway too. But I'm just like, I understand why he's important, but I'm just like, dude, get out of here. Cause I feel like Hemingway ruined it for so many other people. <laughs> You really did. It, I, I feel like it is so overblown. I feel like the the man crush, the man crush, you know, factor is is so huge. Um, but I don't know, dude. Snows of Kilimanjaro saved my life. I love that story. It is a good. I mean, he has his moments. I'm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's like a terrible writer. It's just one of those things where it's like you're taught him i mean how many times have you read one of his stories in one of your lit classes like more than once if i had a dollar for every time i've been assigned yeah. pills like white elephants uh, yeah. yes yeah. yeah did you guys know what it's really about like there was always that kid in my class who was like i got it like immediately like i knew you know what you know what the equivalent of that was for like high school movie life hmm was the kids that thought they were going to teach you something about Donnie Darko. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry for being that kid. <laughs> I would just, like, read the website, and I was like, mm, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, no. No, I got it. It's, like, really deep. Do you know what actually happens at the end? <laughs> I truly don't. I have no fucking clue. Ugh. I just know I had a crush on every single person in that movie. I was like, Noah Wiley, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Jenna Malone, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. I mean, stop. You just blew my mind yeah. with Noah Wiley. I forgot about that. Forget George Clooney. Noah Wiley was the most handsome guy on ER. Oh, for ever. sure. we've talked a lot about writers that we absolutely could live without but um yes were there any writers that you read during more of like your formative years that had that you feel had a huge impact on your writing style or like your desire to write mm-hmm. um 
so when I was living in Tonopah, Nevada, um, and I w- again, I was like the, the stereotypical, like little chubby, bullied, glasses, bowl cut, oversized clothes, just shitty kid. And so I had no friends. And we're in central Nevada. And um, I, uh, in third grade, I went, I walked down the street to the library and I found a hardcover copy of Stephen King's uh, Cujo. And on the cover was just this snarling snout of a St. Bernard with like drool coming out of its muzzle. And little third grade John Nelson is like, holy cow, like this is crazy. And I went home and just devoured it. And looking back at it as, as an adult, I'm like a kid in the third grade should not read this book at all. But that was the book. Cujo by Stephen King was the book that made me, I was like, I'm going to just start writing stories. Um, So I was a huge Stephen King guy when I was a little kid. Um, And then as I got older, I got super into um, Flannery O'Connor and Cormac McCarthy. And I think my all-time favorite writer ever, 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 ever is Annie Prue. Um, I think Annie Prue's better than anyone living right now. Did you start um, writing short stories at first? Was that kind of your introduction to writing? Yeah. So uh, after I started reading Stephen King, um, I had my dad's old desktop computer. This was back when it was still like the black screen with the green text. Um, And I would open however you used to open a Word document. Um, and just start writing uh, scary stories. I remember I had a zombie one, of course. I had a werewolf one. Um, but the the really funny thing was is around because my parents my parents didn't have any. They didn't care about the content of what I was watching or reading. So I could go to the library and get Cujo, or I could go to the video rental store and rent Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, and there was no oversight of like, okay, our kids watching something with violence, swearing, nudity, reading something with violence, swearing, nudity. Um, There was no oversight of that. And so I was writing like in fourth and fifth grade, I was writing these little short stories on my dad's computer that were like really inappropriate, not only for me to be reading, but to be writing. And I remember one of my best friends because uh, I was I was raised okay tangential I'm really sorry I hope this is okay um, I was raised super super Catholic and so even to this day I'm like I'll do something bad and I'm like cool I'm going to hell that's dope um, but <laughs> <laughs> so so anyways sorry I, I um, went to I went to Catholic uh, elementary school so 100% relate you know <laughs> But so um, I was supposed to have this best friends night with my buddy Ross and we were going to watch Scream, Return of the Living Dead 3 and Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. And this was back during the time of landline phones. And so the time comes like 6 p.m. or whatever it was that he was supposed to come over. This is like fourth or fifth grade. 
And the time comes, he's supposed to come over to the house and he's still not there. And in my head, I'm like, this is my punishment because I sinned and wrote these really terrible stories. And, and so, so like an hour and a half goes by and there's no call. We try calling the house. There's no one there. And I'm like, this is God punishing me. And so I go on my computer or my dad's computer. I didn't have a computer because I was a kid, but I go on my dad's computer and I delete all of my stories because I'm like, God is trying to tell me something. (laughs) And, and then like, I swear within 10 minutes, Ross shows up and his mom is like, sorry, we had to do some errands um, (laughs) before we brought him over. And I ended up having uh, a really good night with Ross and we watched our three horror films and it was fun and it was a good little little preteen, pre-adolescent dude night. But I look back and I'm like, if only I hadn't believed in my superstitious God, it would be so cool to have these early remnants of my first attempts at storytelling. Yeah, that would be really fun to have a hold of them. So sorry that those were lost tragically i'm glad that your friend was okay though <laughs> that was yes yes jason didn't get him no so that's good <laughs> um but it seems like i mean the early horror influences just from the writing of yours that i've read that um i can't think of very many stories that i have published or that i've written that don't have at least one person die in them um i I believe very firmly, and I think this is because I grew up on Stephen King and because I grew up on Flannery O'Connor, especially going back to the Catholic thing. Because um, Flannery O'Connor is kind of like a darker version of the Brady Bunch. There's always a moral lesson at the end. <laughs> um, but I, um, I, I think that violence is something that if it serves a purpose and it's not gratuitous then it's important for storytelling because it's a part of real life that we have to deal with in whatever form that it takes. And it's part of being a human. And actually, to be honest, part of being an animal in the first place, that's just unavoidable. And so I, I've always been drawn to violence. I've always, and just to be fair, I'm not a violent person myself personally, but like the, the types of stories and the types of films that I like to watch or read are typically ones like horror films or, you know, stuff like that. Um, I mean, I look at like Cormac McCarthy is another good version and Annie Prue's the same way. I think like, it's like a naturalism thing where it's like, it's not that the world is cruel and that the world is violent because it it wants to punish anyone. It's that the world and the universe are indifferent. And so when when bad things happen to us, when pain happens to us, when someone dies in a Flannery O'Connor story or in um, a Coen Brothers movie, it's not that they're trying to punish someone. It's that that's just something that happens in real life, and you just have to. That's just part of it. So what what do we what do we do with this what do we how do we process this what do we you know i don't know
segue into that, I'm really interested in your creative process as a writer, both uh, kind of practically, like, do you have a work schedule that you try to stick to? Do you have any kind of creative rituals that you use to get yourself in um, that, like, creative headspace? And then also, like, um, kind of more abstract, like, how do you approach a story when, um, when you start writing? So um, I love, 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 love movies. And to be honest, even as a writer and an English major, I actually take way more inspiration from film than I do from anything I've ever read in my life. Um, When I write a scene or when I write a story, I always see it the way, like I see it in my head as if it was a scene from a movie on the screen. And that really helps me. So what that does is I'm able to focus in on the corner of the frame and I can tell you exactly what that fucking shot looks like because I can see it. (laughs) And so for me, I've taken way more from film than I ever, I, I've had so many people tell me like, why didn't you just become a film director? I'm like, this sounds like way too much work. I can I can write from home in my pajamas. I don't want to go be on a set dealing with a bunch of prima donna actors. Forget that. Um, but so my thing is um, to backtrack as far as the schedule goes. I don't have a schedule. I don't believe I look. It's kind of like whatever works for you works for you. And if people work best writing on a schedule, that's really cool for them. I can't do the whole, like, I get up every morning at 4 a.m. and I write from 4 to 6. I write when it hits me. And if it doesn't hit me that day, I'm not going to beat myself up for not putting in the words. I just didn't write anything that day. Maybe I'll read instead. Um, But what I find is if I'm hitting writer's block, I'll put on a movie or I'll put on music instead of reading. And I'll use that to get me going. That's incredible. You just trust in your own process and you trust that you can go with your gut and not beat yourself up. Like you were saying, not beat yourself up if it's not happening that day and you just get back on the horse the next day or whenever. And I love that uh, connection between like other forms of art and writing, just because that makes a lot of sense to me. Are there any specific films that you've, been the most inspired by so um the coen brothers uh i i think no country for old men is just the so the story that i'm working on the novel i'm working on is a western and i'm really fascinated with the idea of like the modern western not like the old clean eastwood john wayne western but like think about like um uh, no Country for Old Men, of course, like There Will Be Blood, like movies like that. I have relatives that are basically country bumpkins. And so it's, I, I think I just, from growing up around those kind of like salt of the earth people, um, I'm fascinated. Like, and again, this goes into looking at the corners of the frame uh, when you're writing a scene. Uh, the Coen brothers in particular, like in No Country for Old Men, or even in a movie like Fargo, and I know that's not a a Western necessarily, but they spend a lot of time looking really close at the minor characters 
in asking their audience to get to know them. So like the woman who runs the motel in No Country for Old Men, you might just write her off as just being a simple Texan woman. But there's so much complexity to her in that performance and the way that she's written. And I feel like when you're writing a Western, there's, there's like something to like every character in the saloon per se, you know, I, I want to know what that guy's story is over sitting, not playing the piano, but near the piano. What, what's he doing? What's his deal? Something in my writing that I do that I've had so many people complain about in workshops <laughs> is um, I give every character a full name, a first and last name. And I'm not, I'm not going to reference them by the full name every time I talk about them. But when you first meet them, you're going to get their full name. And that's something I learned from Annie Prue. And I remember when the first Annie Prue story I ever read, which was uh, People in Hell Just Want a Drink of Water. And if you've never read that story by Annie Prue, it's not very long. I swear to God, that is the best short story I've ever read. And if I was an English professor, I would teach that story over and over and over again. But what I remember standing out to me, she makes a point, literally every person that she mentions, you will not only get their first and last name, but you will get a full story and a full understanding of who they are. And I think that that's sort of like, something that we should take from storytelling and something that we should be aware of. And I think it's important, like just in our modern world to remember. So I work, I work in grocery and people are, our customers, our coworkers, everyone's really stressed out right now. And so, you know, people are kind of being, you know, shittier with each other than usual, but it's important to remember even on a good day that everyone's going through their stuff. And everyone has stuff going on. And so if I have a customer that's being crabby with me, it's not that they're, you know, pissed with me. It's that they've, they, they have a whole, say it's a 48 year old woman. She has a whole 48 years of life experience and who knows what that's happened to her that has led her to going through my check stand. And so what I like about Annie Prue and writers like that, that really like ask us to look at the periphery is every character matters. Every character in your story is important. If they weren't important, you wouldn't put them in the fucking story. <laughs> right on, dude. Right on. That's, I'm, yeah, that's, I never quite thought of it that way. And that's, that's so illuminating. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now we have to ask you the question about being an essential worker. You know, we need to ask you that now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, are you ready? Are we getting yeah. into this? Whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, so I work in grocery. I feel very, very, very fortunate, especially as someone that grew up kind of like lower class and sort of like always poor and, you know, stuff. So money was always a thing. And so I feel so fortunate at this point in my life to have a job where I'm still working and I'm still like, I've, income coming in um but it's weird being there because if 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 i am believing what i'm being told 
then five days a week, I'm being exposed potentially to being very sick. And I also find, like I was mentioning earlier, that um, the customers are getting more and more kind of cranky is the easy way to say it. Like customers are getting more and more like shitty is (laughs) really what it is. (laughs) But every single day, there's more and more rules that are getting blown out. To be honest, um, I don't feel very quarantined only because I'm going to work five days a week still. So I still have my normal routine and I'm a shut in. I don't, I got to tell you guys, I don't like seeing people. I don't like being in public. I don't like going to parties. I don't like going to clubs or shows. I just stay inside. So I watch movies and read books and mess around on my laptop. So for me, like this feels like life as usual, but what affects me is the way that other people are behaving. That affects my writing in the sense that um, it gives me inspiration because I, okay. How familiar are y'all with uh, Les Miserables? Pretty familiar. Okay. So the whole thing about like how a person is either born good or born bad and they can become good or they can become bad, that whole idea. Um, I really feel like people just generally are kind of like at their base, very animalistic. And I think that what's scary but also interesting about this time in history is that we're seeing how people like, I guess what people are at their core. And so I've found inspiration because as a kind of cynic about people and someone that kind of sees the worst in people, and I'm sorry to say that, but it's it's the naturalist in me. But I just, I I think that people like when they're pushed to their limits are kind of like the worst they're ever going to be. And I I mean, that goes without saying. But so I... I think it's interesting as a social study, especially as someone that likes to write and study characters, um, seeing the way that people interact with each other, the higher that the stress is like ratcheted up. I don't know. It's, it's interesting seeing the way that people like treat each other in a social setting when there's actually things at stake. Absolutely. As somebody who likes to believe in the best in people, that's been so disconcerting to me. I I completely agree with you. I feel like so many layers are being peeled back and a lot of our primal survival instincts are being shown, you know, on a social level. But I've also, I've also seen the flip side of it too. I've seen, I've seen people rise up to their best selves too but at the same time i'm sitting here at fucking home so i'm not seeing i'm not on the front lines you know what i mean so it's really interesting to hear about your experience i'm so curious what the John Christopher Nelson Dum Dum Zine origin story is like how did we all find each other do you guys remember I do <laughs> yeah yeah tell it so I um I went to undergrad with AJ Urquidy who is one of the co-founders of Indicia and he and Marcus Clayton did a co-event with Jenea 
Frey, mm -hmm. who does uh, Lipstick Party Mag. And that was in 2016. And I read a story there at that event that was published in the first issue of Indicia. And then I'm pretty sure you and your partner were there, Julia. Mm -hmm. And I met you there. And then I met Talene digitally through you. Oh, that's so nice. Okay, so that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. And then and then when Talene and her band were doing a tour and they posted that they were looking for uh, venues to play at, I suggested a venue here in West Seattle where I live. And Talene ended up playing there, which was Parliament Tavern. Oh, I'll never and forget it. And Talene and her band stayed here at my apartment in West Seattle. And that's how we all know each other. And then um, I know a couple of the other people from Dum Dum Zine. Uh, Joshua Robert Long lives down in Oregon. And I've seen a couple of, or at least one of his readings up here in Seattle. I know there's other acts that are, uh, or other writers or people that are associated with Dum Dum Zine that I know at least digitally but yeah that's how i met you guys or y'all what you mentioned about having this like internet connection and internet friendship and really feeling like you know a person really translated for me when i met you for the first time because we hadn't met at all but we had been online friends when we finally came to seattle and crashed with you. I felt like I had known you for years by that point. So glad you're part of our community, buddy. I really love being a part of this community. It's, and I, I cannot, I mean, you said it perfectly. I can't echo what you said more. I mean, I, I've only met you in person once. I've only met Julia in person, at least to my memory once, but I actually like, I feel like I, just because of social media and stuff like that. I feel like I know you guys better than I know like people that I see every day because people were so private now. Everyone. It, it, and I feel like that's this weird inverse thing that social media has done where it's like made we like no strangers, not that you two are strangers, but, but we know strangers better than we know people that we work with every day or see, you know, I don't know. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like the way we met Joshua Robert Long was that he followed Rose, who's our poetry editor on Tumblr, like back in the day through like the Tumblr poetry scene. Okay. And I feel like this guy has been like a homie for years and years now too. And I only recently met him on that same tour and I felt the same, the same exact way. Speaking of Joshua Robert Long, he'll appreciate this. Uh, a reference to a meme. Because <laughs> um, he's the meme master. Um, <laughs> he really is. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking about just, I've seen so many memes about how like we are in such a sort of meta society at this point because of social media. And then weirdly enough, like this situation has made our meta society like that much more meta. It's transformed. It's ascended. It's, it's mutated. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. 
We're in the we're in the world uh, the wild wild west wild wild web. <laughs> There's a new western for you, John. A meme based western. It's just no. only memes. That's a uh, congratulations for the promo uh, campaign for your upcoming novel. We've got you covered. Yeah, just get Joshua Robert Long to make memes about your novel. <laughs> yeah, totally. We're looping him in on this. We might snatch Dum him Dum up Zenith. to do that for Dum issue Dum seven, Zenith. though. I have to say, yeah. that would be great. The the cover of my novel is just that emoji with the cowboy hat and the guns. Yeah, baby. Yeah, Sheriff baby. of novels. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> What's your most used emoji? Because I can tell you which one mine is. It's, oh my god, let's all look this. It's just up. the weepy face. You know the one that's like streaming tears. <laughs> you know what? I need to look mine up too. Let's see. Mine's a crown. Ooh. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mine is the you know the disappointed face where he's like oh. <laughs> apparently that's my most used emoji oh no him and i have each other you know So something, John, that we do on our podcast is we do media picks. So we just kind of like share what we're reading and writing and, uh, or not writing, reading, watching, listening to that's like particularly interesting and fun for us right now. Last time we were on here, I mentioned that I had just started or I was eyeballing starting The Virgin Suicides. Um, And now I'm almost finished. So that's my media pick update. (laughs) Blasting through The Virgin Suicides. Um, I have thoughts, I have feelings, and I've never seen the movie. So it's kind of giving me, like, I see Kirsten Dunst and I see Josh Hartnett in my mind just because I was aware that they're in it, but I don't see anything else. So I'm having kind of this, I'm able to imagine things for myself, which is kind of nice. But with like a Sofia Coppola, like soft focus on everything. (laughs) Yeah, that hazy, Mm -hmm. fuzzy, like it's through a little bit of cotton stretched across the lens. Exactly. Um, do you plan on watching the movie after you finish the book? Mm, I'm like, sometimes I'm not as big of like a movie watcher. So sometimes I'll get ideas of what movie or what stories look like in my head from reading a book. And then I will watch the movie and then I can never see what I saw before ever again. Cause it's like superseded by the movie. So I can't like unsee it that's so pure julia i love that i didn't know that about you yeah so lately i have read uh joshua robert long's collection of poetry uh occasional self-portrait and then i'm reading a, a book called white which is brett east and ellis's uh most recent publication and it's his first non-fiction book um and it's kind of it's an interesting book because it's all about his like 
his kind of coming out as having been a closeted homosexual man for so long and um, sort of what that means to him. Um, I'm always chipping away at my my like 600 page long collection of Paul Bowles short stories. Um, in terms of what I'm watching right now, I'm watching Devs. Don't ruin the end for me if you watch Devs. I don't know. Uh, Fargo, the TV series. Um, I always love Big Mouth. And I do either of you like Pen15? Loved Pen15. I haven't seen it yet. I graduated middle school in 2002. So it was like that exact era and they nailed it. Totally. Um, and then in terms of music, I got to be honest with y'all. I don't know new music. I'm sorry, Talene. I don't keep up with anything. I don't keep up with anything current. Um, the playlist I've been listening to most on Spotify is my Lilith Fair playlist. Oh um, my god, I love you, dude. Um, oh, can yeah. I can I can I tell y'all one thing on that note? Yeah. The first three compact discs I ever owned were Cheryl Crow's self-titled album, her second one, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, and No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Those were the first three CDs I ever owned. If there's one thing I can jam out to, it's like angry mid '90s chick rock. Like the most recent Fiona Apple album that just came out is absolutely gorgeous i mean she can do no wrong as far as i'm concerned i agree we we talked about that one on our last podcast episode actually um i, I live tweeted my listening experience it was it felt like a spiritual experience i, I totally agree with you um Ever since the last podcast episode, I have not listened to any new music because I've been working on some music. Um, I'm also reading Joshua Robert Long's poetry book, Our Boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I finished reading uh, Ray Bradbury's Zen and the Art of Writing. And I finished Shakespeare's book of sonnets. And I started this book called vein of gold which is kind of like the sequel to the artist's way have you guys ever uh, read the artist's way i got it mm -mm. on your recommendation oh hell yeah mm -hmm. hell yeah um it's uh, uh written by my by julia cameron and it's one of those like self-help artist guidebooks that's a an even deeper dive and I've had it for three years because I did artist's way three years ago and I I bought Bean of Gold afterward with like the intentions of like diving diving into that next level and I just I wasn't ready to take another plunge and I think I think this uh second month of quarantine well now we're like going into month three I think like here in LA we're on day like 60 something um I think that's like really creating space for me to be able to take another plunge to see what's down there. So that's what I'm reading right now. Thank you so much for joining us. It was such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast and get to pick your brain about your creative process and your writing and kind of on a, an end note, I have a, a final question for you. Um, since a lot of our listeners are creatives themselves, do you have a piece of creative advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. Think about when you tell a story, what you want someone to learn from it. I, I, I don't mean like teaching people something like 
in a in a patronizing way or in a pedantic way but a story should be the same thing as a parent it should teach the reader a lesson and the reader should walk away from the story having learned something important and significant maybe not necessarily directly related to their life but that they can apply to life in general and perhaps if the story doesn't relate to how they are as a person it will help them understand other people that they might see differences in and i think that that's the way in which writing and storytelling in general whether it's films music books even paintings whatever medium you want to use storytelling is a way that we can understand other humans and that is why we tell stories so it might not be a story that you're interested in you might not understand it maybe the characters are unlikable to you but when you finish reading the story you need to think about what does this tell me about human beings in general or other people and how can i use this as a better lens to treat other people with more humanity and there Thank you have you. it creative advice from again illustrious writer and hopeful dum-dum contributor we really want you for issue seven do it I'm issue seven so down <laughs> do it so down we've already got you on the podcast so now we're gonna have to rope you in for issue seven <laughs> is there anything else that you want to plug or anything that we can expect from you yeah, so two things really quick that I would love to plug. Um, there is a zine that is up right now uh, from Pleasure Boat Studios. Pleasure Boat Studios. And the editor of that is Lauren Groskoff. I've got three of my stories in there. Uh, it's a pub, they, they publish books and things like that, but this is their first zine. Um, so I'm really excited to be a part of that. I will have a story on uh, the real story. It's just the real story. Um, they're a UK-based online journal, and it's actually a creative nonfiction piece. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thank you, John. Thank Bye. you. I really appreciate y'all having me on. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, it's me again, Julia, in case you forgot. In all of our excitement over getting to chat with John, we completely forgot to tell you where you could find the rest of his work. And if you want to go check his stuff out, which we highly recommend that you do, you can head on over to johnchristophernelson.com. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.